Welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I am Maggie Ulmer, and on today's episode, Tony and Emma and I have a very special guest, Rob Ulmer. That's right, my husband stops by today to help us have a conversation about how churches and leaders can work together to cultivate a culture that is open to the movement and leading of the Holy Spirit. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am Maggie Ulmer and I am here with the Spirit and Truth crew plus a guest and let's just have some introductions. Love it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm Tony, uh, Director of Leadership and Discipleship here at Spirit and Truth. Emma Winchester. And our special guest today is me. Oh, Rob. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, we're here now. Uh, <laughs> we Rob Ulmer. I am a pastor at Stillwater Church, and I happen to be married to the one wonderful and lovely Maggie Ulmer. Yes. Maggie, why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about today? We are going to talk about uh, something we think about a lot here at Spirit and Truth, which is how to cultivate culture within a church that gives more freedom, more authority to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things we can do to let that happen. Emma, let me let me ask you this, uh, because I think you've got probably the freshest perspective at the table when it comes to churches. Mm. You, I mean, you haven't been in a lot of church cultures prior to coming on board with Spirit and Truth. So uh, what's the difference in feeling when you walk into a church that's got space for the Holy Spirit, that, that has kind of ushered in that culture of the Holy Spirit versus one that doesn't? How would you how would you differentiate the two? Well, I have to pause for a second when I answer that question because it's not always based on my initial feeling when I walk into a church. So by outward appearance, if I walk into any church that we've been to, it may look to me like, oh, either the Spirit is really active here or it's not. But what I have learned is that you trust that the Spirit is working even when you can't necessarily see it actively. So with that in mind, I would say that um, some of the most obvious ways that you can tell if the Spirit is working is if you see the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the first things that I look for, you know, when we work with churches is are the people and are the leaders uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I want to see some joy, y'all. Yeah, I want to see some joy, <laughs> some love, some peace, some patience. You know what I mean? Some so, long-suffering. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, in terms of feeling, I mean, when you walk in, do you see the fruit? Yeah. And that'll tell you. I, I think that's. I think that there's a lot of wisdom there. Yeah. Rob, what, you've pastored how many churches in your career? Six? I think about six. that. Six. And then I was a youth minister at another one. So I've been in seven. And then I grew up in one. So that's eight. That's, I didn't pastor that one. Right. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you step into a, a leadership role at a church, how do you discern what the level of openness to the Holy Spirit is? Like, what's that, what's that process? There's a lot of people listening right now who's in a church Mm-hmm. And they're leading a church, either lady or as clergy, and they've probably never even thought about this before. If you were going to kind of give them like 
your process of discernment about where we are with the Holy Spirit, what what do you kind of think through in that process? That's a great question. <laughs> so wait, say it one more time for me. How, how do you discern the level of openness or current engagement in the Holy Spirit when you step into a church? Well, I'd yeah, you obviously kind of like what Emma was saying. You don't do it like right away. Uh, I will almost always take six months to a year before I really begin to make any kind of changes or th- like I want to feel at the place. And so the first thing I kind of look for is language. You know, like I'll look for those things you're talking about, you know, the the joy and the peace um, and the way issues are dealt with. So do we pray? Do we um, do we freak out right away? Um do we trust in the way that we live, but also the language that we use? So how do we talk about God? How do we talk about life? How do we talk about the ministry we're doing? Because I think language is the central sign of culture, mm-hmm. right? So the, the words that, that you use, the and you're always saying this too. You're saying, I forget the phrase that you use. Common language creates common movement. Yeah, there you go. Copyright Tony Miltenberger. Um, but but, <laughs> but that was amazing. But, but it's a real thing, right? It's no, a real that's thing. Right. That's right. And um and so when you listen and you, I don't necessarily go in there and say let me listen for their words. But it's like you just pick up on it, you know. You yeah. Um, if no one ever mentions the Holy Spirit or no one ever says uh, things like well, we should listen for the Lord or we should, they don't use that language that you see in Scripture. Then you got to wonder, okay, who's leading this congregation? Mm-hmm. Who's really leading? the way that we make decisions, the way that we minister, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, I would say that's um, that's one of the, the main things I look for. That's awesome. What about you, Tony? You've been a pastor. Yeah, so true confession, um, it was much later in my life when I started really um, caring about the Holy Spirit as an intentional growth in a church, right? So. So I I grew up in the attractional church movement. I grew up in a big church and we would plan our way to success frequently. Mm. And it was always kind of like through strategy and strategic planning. And one of the things I would later learn in life um, in my last, you know, kind of my lead pastor role at at restoration was that culture each strategy for lunch, right? And that's an old axiom that's not new to me or to the church. But what that means in the church world is that if we're not intentional about ushering in the Holy Spirit as a culture, then any strategy that we plan will just either be dead before it starts or just if if it works, it's just luck, right? The Holy Spirit will work whether I'm intentional about it or not because right. that's who the Holy Spirit is. So, so I would say that when I decided to get intentional about the Holy Spirit, it was in 2018 my last year of seminary, I did a lot of education through United Theological Seminary, which if you're looking for a place to learn more about the Holy Spirit, I strongly recommend, yeah. which, you know, I'm the president of the alumni committee. I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to say that. <laughs> but, I, but I love, you know, obviously Dr. Bellini is a big part of our team here on this podcast and with everything else. And he, he's one of my spiritual fathers and taught me a ton about the Holy Spirit. So w- what I would say is, is that we had to go in and kind of create the kind of the atmosphere the culture we had to try to to change culture with the holy spirit there and mm. and so um 
I, I would echo Rob and Emma's sen sentiments and really kind of focus on, for me, it, it all began with, be began, began with prayer. Mm. Oh, yeah. prayer. Prayer is kind of where we started to shift the culture. And I think that if you're a leader and you want to change the culture, starting from your knees is, is probably the best place to start. Amen to that. Uh, yeah. I think that that is a really, that phrase you just spoke there, culture eats strategy for lunch. Uh, for me, that's a, a light bulb moment. And I'm just, I wonder if it is for other leaders in the church, because I feel like it's not uncommon for us to come across pastors who are working really hard in the strategy area and then becoming completely frustrated at why. Why is this very well-crafted, well-planned strategy not doing what it's supposed to do yeah because your church culture is eating your strategy <laughs> for lunch that's why so um emma you look like you've got something to say you get your bible open well no i j that's a really interesting concept and i'm excited to hear about like from your guys's perspective if strategy doesn't work then how do you cultivate culture and i know that that's something that um yeah has been a really common conversation for all of us recently, but you know, Tony, when you were saying like you start with prayer, uh, the first thing that I think of is Pentecost. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Jesus's teaching that said, "Go, wait, pray." Right. You know, and that's how they created the context for the Holy Spirit. So, if that worked, then then us having access to the Holy Spirit now means that we should go, wait, pray. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, and, and maybe I'll amend this a little bit because strategy in churches will work, mm -hmm. right? Like I've been in a lot of churches that have grown numerically. The, the problem is, is they won't grow the way that I believe that the Lord intends them. So when we go to churches as spirit and truth, we often say we don't have anything new to bring here. What we have are just old practices, right? And, um, and kind of reminders and that fresh breath. If we want people to experience the real presence of the Lord, we're not going to do that through strategy, right? That, that's not, yeah. you, I mean, you're not going to be like, okay, Lord, at 1101, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. at 11.01, we would like for you to enter into the room during the third song right before we take the offering. Yeah. Man, that's so real. That is real, right? So now, do I think that churches should have a, a strategy? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're going we're gonna to kind of transition a little bit yeah. into ways to talk about ushering in a culture of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think not having a strategy is probably irresponsible, but letting the Holy Spirit um, be the Lord of that strategy is probably the best way. Amen. Well, Rob's got his Bible open too. What are you looking at? No, I was, I was thinking ahead. Okay. Uh, so I was waiting. <laughs> You're all staring at me. I, mean, I had uh, well, a couple. Well, I mean, yeah. Let's let's jump into ahead. Let's jump yeah. into some of the things yeah. that. What do you do? To yeah. Help what do you do to help culture? usher in the culture of the Holy Spirit? That's what uh, what you just said and what Emma just said. You know, what you wait upon is what's at the center of your life. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. So the. Oh, hear that, y'all. So the 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 main thing you do is you need times moments seasons where you are actually waiting upon him and really waiting for him right so the thing i thought of was psalm 123 where it says i lift up my eyes to you to you who sits enthroned in heaven as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress 
so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. So the the psalmist, and this is a psalm of ascent, so they're going to the temple and they're saying, like as they go to the temple, at the center of what they're doing is, our eyes are upon you, Lord, and we're waiting upon you the same way a servant looks to the hand of their master. So the idea is we are waiting for you to move, to, to move that hand, right? To do what you're going to do. We're waiting for you to act. And we're just going to wait for that. And that's at the center. So we're going to be ready to receive it because we're waiting upon it. And it's so what you're describing is not a passive kind of waiting no, either. It's an no. anticipatory waiting. Yes, you're like, that's right, yeah. we're waiting for you to move so yeah. that we can then respond. Yeah, so in the meantime, right, you're loving your neighbor. You're doing all the things. At the same time, Every day we meet at this time for prayer and waiting upon the Lord and calling for him. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while we do these things in worship. We're like, you know what, today we might not have a sermon today. We're going to be in prayer today and just wait upon the Lord. We're just going to create that space you were talking about where we're going to risk looking like we're fools a little bit to wait and see what he wants to do. You know. So you just mentioned space, and that was something we were talking about before the podcast. Um and before we jump there, I just want to talk a little bit about two things that feel related to me, and I'm wondering what you guys think. So when we were discussing what are things that can help usher in um, a tra- you know, shift in culture to make room for the Holy Spirit to be Lord over things, um, I mentioned teaching, and Tony mentioned repentance. And I often find that sometimes when there's good teaching that happens, there often is then a revelation of things we did not correctly (laughs) that then leads us to a place of oh we should probably repent (laughs) yeah and full disclosure it was emma that mentioned repentance she's far holier than i am (laughs) (laughs) okay Okay. emma mentioned repentance gotcha (laughs) but 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 that's that's good yeah well and i was just going to say that that's the very first message that jesus preached when he came out of the wilderness repent and believe so mm-hmm. that idea from turning away from sin and turning towards the gospel towards mm-hmm. the truth believe have faith you know those kind of steps mm-hmm. emma i am kind of curious when you talk about repentance corporately what is it what does that look like in churches have you seen it practiced or have thoughts around how um a, a, you know a leader who's listening right now how could they usher in a spirit of repentance so that there's space for the holy spirit Man, it's, it hasn't been until recently where I have um, encountered worship services where you create a good amount of space for repentance. And at first, it's really, really, really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the, the common churchgoer, it will still be uncomfortable. But it's so important, like to move outside of our comfortability to realize that this corporate act of us all collectively turning away from our sin and collectively putting our eyes upon Jesus is so powerful and it's an act of warfare. And so like at Stillwater when we do this, it's typically at time when we have communion. And so it's just a part of the culture now. We Mm -hmm. do it every week. We all come together. We decide, all right, well, today, even if I don't want to or if it doesn't feel good, I'm turning away from my crap, and I'm turning to you, Jesus, and I am taking your body and your blood. I accept it for myself. And 
you know, most churches don't take communion every week or anything like that, but that has been one of the ways that um, even locally at our, the church that I go to, it's become a part of the culture um, to take communion and to repent. So it's powerful. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what does that What does that yep mean? Rob? I mean, that's that's real. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that repentance should be a part of worship every week. You know, it's a formal, a, f- a formal moment um, of coming before the Lord vulnerably, a broken and contrite spirit. Right is what the Lord desires, um, and that's the re- the offering He desires. Mm-hmm. You know. Pastor Rob, how, how do we how do we get to repentance without shame? Mm. You know, if yeah. we're leading people to repentance, we don't want that to be masked in shame because repentance is really a gift from the Lord that he, yeah. give, he gives that yeah. to us, right? It's yeah. freedom. How, how do you teach repentance without shame? Well, I'm, here's the real truth. Sin brings shame. So you cannot escape shame. Now, you don't want to stay there like you are not meant to dwell there but sin when we sin we should feel some level of guilt and shame there's no escape from it i don't know like i know in a lot of therapy today it's kind of like we don't want to talk about shame but shame is there to be like oh i shouldn't have done that i don't (laughs) feel like that's not right like and that's one of the issues with Facebook just for 5 seconds that when I write whatever I want on there I don't see your face or your response so I don't feel shameful yeah. when I should right when I'm in front of you and I sin and I hurt you and I see what you look like that I should feel shame now all that being said when we're in worship I don't want to put shame on people that's not my job right that's not anyone's job so then what we do is we teach that repentance is like you said a gift it is actually a moment where we can turn back to the Lord and he can take that shame away. He can cleanse us again, remind us again that we are clean in him um, and we can seek his face again. So whenever I, like whenever I teach on repentance, there's a couple different places you can go to. Um, but I think, you know, if you go all the way back to um, Genesis and you look at Adam and Eve, they are, they say that naked and they feel ashamed, right? Or naked and not ashamed, but then they're, they're naked and obviously shame is there. And what does God do? He clothes them, right? He says, I am going to clothe you now. And so we get in the New Testament, he clothes us in Christ, right? So um, repentance has to be seen as kind of, I mean, the way that, the way that Jesus <coughs> talks about it and teaches it. Mm-hmm. Um, repent, turn toward the Lord. And know that he loves you. Know that he's calling you to turn toward him. That means he's not ashamed of you. I, I, I like what you're saying. And I think that, you know, the shame, guilt, and conviction, these three words that we often use to describe, you know, uh, the emotional state. <coughs> Are you all right there, Tony? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's flu season here. We're all recovering. Um, the It's interesting to me. I... I appreciate the fact, and I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm married to you. We've had this conversation before. <laughs> but I always appreciate the fact that you're sort of just honest about that part. Like, when we say that part of what the Holy Spirit does is bring conviction, 
I'm always curious about what people think that is going to feel like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, look, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. It doesn't feel awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there is there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation. Yeah. And, and I think and, that and that's... And that's the heart of what you're saying, Tony, I think. Yeah. Is that, I, is that we will feel conviction. We should not feel condemned in yeah. the presence of God. Um, God is not here to condemn us. Um, that's Satan wants to do all that. But we are not condemned, Romans 8, right? Therefore, we are not condemned because we have Christ. So, um, so we feel conviction. And that conviction drives us to say, yeah, I want to lay this down because I want Jesus. I want the life of God. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so. so we've also talked a little bit about how important teaching can be, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And in your experience, pastors sitting at this table, is teaching about the Holy Spirit like, how's that go for people? <laughs> can I tell a quick story? hundred <laughs> um, percent. So when I was at Restoration and I got wrecked by the Holy Spirit in a really profound way, just just an understanding through all the people in my life who were speaking into it, a, a trip to Cuba, I thought, man, what a great way to uh, help my church see the Holy Spirit is to bring in these incredible Cuban pastors to be missionaries at our church. And so we, we planned a weekend revival with the Cubans. And if if you don't know them, you should. They're wonderful people. Uh, it's they're the Methodist Church in Havana. Um, Havana Central is what it's called. You can find them on Facebook. They post frequently. And uh, there's a great opportunity there to watch their services. And you can see it's just very gregarious. It's a lot of trumpets. It's dancing. It's all of the things that come with the Cuban culture. And so they came into restoration, and I'm in a suburb of Dayton, um, middle, upper income, mostly white. You know, if, if you were going to kind of talk about the frozen chosen from mainline denominations, you might, that might be a good representation of this church. And I love the church. It's a great church. So, uh, so I brought in these Cubans, and they went to town and um, did what they did, and the Holy Spirit showed up in powerful ways, and people were healed, and people fell out, and they left. And I had to clean up the wake of the tornado mm-hmm. that I had just invited into the church. Because uh, if you don't prepare people to receive a gift, yeah. then they they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's right. It's like giving a, um, a 12-year-old keys to your car and say, go have fun. Right? Like, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible that something good can come out of it. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> but it's unlikely. So mm-hmm. I, I would say teaching... Um, a good theological basis to start and then experience. And then we ended up having to do a couple of debrief sessions in the church um, after the Cuban visit, which was, which was good. It was great. And I'm super thankful of how uh, generous the church was with their time to help me clean that up. And, uh, and (laughs) theologically and just emotionally, like it was just a lot because the awe and wonder of God, if you've never seen it before, can be a lot to process, especially if you grew up in the church where it was not something you did. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you have to say about that, Rob? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, teaching is vital. This is what Jesus did. Um, this is what, I mean, teaching is, yeah, it's, you've got to prepare people for it. Right, and you've got to prepare them as best you can, um, teaching them about the spirit, uh, give, uh, laying out a vision about the life in the spirit, what that is, what that can be, and helping people expand their vision of that. 
yeah. a lot of scriptural support. Yeah. Well, so, so I would also say this, right? In some charismatic circles, and, and we've talked about this um, in our office and maybe even a little bit on this podcast with Dr. Bellini, in some charismatic circles, um, there's a, a tendency to chase emotional interactions with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so if, if you're chasing feel-good moments with, um, with the Holy Spirit, the, the long-term sustainability becomes less and less viable. Mm-hmm. So good teaching creates a foundation to build those moments on so that the house that you're building isn't a deck of cards, but rather um, a relationship with the triune God in his beauty. Amen. Yeah. That's some wisdom right there, sir. Yeah. Mostly through failure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's real. I I really appreciate that. I I don't know about you, Emma. I grew up in a church that was full of lovely people, but no very little sort of um, teaching or, well, I, I guess I can't say little teaching, but I don't ever remember there being like teaching of like, hey, miracles are a thing and the Holy Spirit can lead you in ways and and also supernatural experiences are a thing and yeah none of that yeah I can't necessarily remember a time when I was taught specifically about the Holy Spirit until I was much older and I'm not sure if I had just like blocked that out of my memory you know as 10 year old self but sure (laughs) or you know if it just wasn't a value that's real too um, and some other churches that I went to in my high school years, uh, it surely wasn't a value. And if it was, it was experiential, as Tony was saying. It was emotional and whatever, because that's how you win people, right? Like, you get this aha, super emotional moment, and everyone falls on their knees and weeps, and that's what people become hungry for. So if that's what you're selling, is this Holy Spirit that only provides these experiences, and that's how you're trying to get people in the pews. It'll work for a minute until you didn't give them yeah. tools to build a relationship with the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit on their own life. So, yeah, I think it comes back to really, you know, what you discussed in the beginning, which is ultimately the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I wonder, you guys talk about like laying a theological foundation of the Holy Spirit. Did you guys have those resources available, or how did you create the theological foundation for yourself? You know, like I'm thinking if there are any pastors who are like, yeah, I want to lay a foundation for the Holy Spirit, but I don't even know where to start. How would you say that you... John 14 and 17. <laughs> um, and I'm not being silly. I mean, that's that. Took, I, honestly, I didn't realize that. I went to a bunch of books first, and then I realized uh, reading the books, I kept going back to those few chapters. Now, the Holy Spirit's talked about in a bunch of places, but John 14 to 17, really, if you read it very closely and slowly, you see how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, you know? And, and it goes along with what you guys were just saying, actually, that um, while we often think of the Holy Spirit as the miracle worker, the wonder worker, the experience, right? But really, in John 14 through 17, Jesus says, well, he, he's going to come as a comforter, and he's going he's to remind you of what I've taught you, right? And he's going to testify to me. He's going to convict the world. 
He's going to um, convict the world with judgment. He's going to do all these things. And they're all about really what it means to follow Jesus and having the ability to bear fruit as we follow Jesus, mm. right? So that's really foundational, I think, when we teach in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is I met other ministers who did it. So when, we were in, when I was in Jackson Center, I met this minister. His name was Jim, amazing man from Pentecostal. You know, he just came over one day to say hello. And then we started meeting every Monday. And he started talking to me about the Holy Spirit, stuff that I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and he began to lay it out for me. And then um, he, sh- he just showed me stuff. And so meeting other ministers who, like you, Tony, were saying, who have tried and failed, who have succeeded, who have risked, right? And the sitting with them and learning from them is the other piece, I think. Mm. Um, And then the last and final piece is actually trying it. Like like trying to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in prayer, trying to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in your life, um, and uh, and just asking for the Lord to grow you in the Spirit, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I would echo those sentiments. Obviously start with scripture and do some studying on the scripture. Um, when I was at seminary, you know, I took a lot of classes that last year on the Holy Spirit. And so I got to sit under the teachings of Dr. David Watson and Dr. Bellini and um, two guys who have theological underpinnings, right? So, you know, you'll, you'll look like the people you surround yourself with in most cases. So if you want to be intentional about moving where you are with the Holy Spirit, you have to be intentional about finding people who are further along with the Holy Spirit yeah. than you are. Yeah. You know, good. like, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why we try to do the Spirit and Truth Conference every year, mm. you know, is that we want to create a space for pastors to come and receive that fresh breath. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a way they, d- they can't get in their own church, certainly in a way where they don't have to be in charge of anything. So, you know, that's why... Um, the Holy Spirit Seminar at United exists. It's why Global Awakening exists. It's why all of these kind of equipping parachurch organizations, who a lot of them are really good, solid, you know, theological teaching, um, you know, is, is a really great place to start. And I, I would just tell you, leader who's listening, um, be intentional about checking their theology before you sign up. Yeah. Be intentional about, you know, doing some homework on the people before you sign up. And and then um, and then you know check in with the, your peers, who who are spiritually open at the temperature or further along than you are. I would say people who, where you see the the fruit. Amen. Well, I feel like you know this is such a good place to uh, wrap it up because it, we've. I feel like there's so many places to go afterwards. This is just future podcast material land. Can I just talk about one more thing? Of course. <laughs> this I just want to say. I mean, this is this is the one more thing is Rob's favorite thing. <laughs> no, no. So um, in like when it when you talk about the Holy Spirit, one the major thing is culture, right? Yeah. Like spirit culture, though. So if you look at First uh, Corinthians twelve through fourteen, mm-hmm. you see a lot of that culture. And one of the main places is in fourteen. He's Paul talks about worship, a worship service, mm. and how a spirit led worship service really looks. But at the beginning of that chapter, he says, "Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy." I think the key thing for me is that 
if you really want the spirit to be in your culture, you have to follow the way of love. You have mm-hmm. to honor one another, mm-hmm. love one another. That is the way that you open up the flow for the spirit to move, really move. Yeah, that's As you true. love and honor one another. When you do that, when you ask the Lord to teach you how to do that, then in that you seek the gifts of the spirit, right? You, so you, you work hard in creating this with a small group first. You have yourself and you have one or two other people and you work hard to honor one another in love. And then you work hard to do it so from, to go out from there and honor one another in love. At the same time, where two or three are gathered, I am present, right? And when you're gathered in my name is what he says, in my name. So when you're gathered in my name, which means to be gathered in his love, like I am present, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna flow, I'm gonna move there. And then together you desire the gifts together. Right? Mm. You seek those things together and you wait upon them together. The more you do that, that is going to create that culture where the spirit will, will actually want to be there. Wow. He, he will want to be there. Like He's like, all right, these the, they get it. I want to come party with them. Right? Most of the time, the Holy Spirit, we say he's there, but really he's in the corner, in the back corner. And we're like, it's cool. We know he's here. So we're good. Right? But if Jesus came back tomorrow and we were like, well, we know you're here. You go sit in the corner. We're going to worship. Over I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? But what we all say every day is that, well, we know he's here. Well, if we know he's here, then let's wait upon him, right? Let's, let's obey him. When we do that, he does things too. Great. They want me to dwell here. Let's dwell. Wow. You know? So that's, I just wanted to add that. That was, that was a good addition. <laughs> <laughs> good ad, for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Do we need to do any closing questions? What do you think, Tony? You're a question guy. Mm. Here would be my closing question for okay. the group. Okay. For the group. And then uh, and then we'll, we'll let everyone just kind of marinate in this for the rest of the day. Excellent. What is your favorite way... To connect with the Holy Spirit. That was my question. All right. Well, you get to answer first. Oh, crud. Um, let's see. Favorite way to connect with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's prayer. Prayer and scripture. I. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm not. I thought of something funny. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> well, you guys are seeing something about my marriage right now. All right. No, it's prayer. I mean, and it's not just any kind of prayer. I I will just, um, I'll put on, you know, <laughs> I have a routine and, and I'll, I'll put on soaking music, soaking prayer music, and I will just sit there and, um, you know, and just praise God and you know there's that scripture stir up the gift of God within you and that's what I do I I stir up that gift inside of me and I do it by um by like effusively rejoicing in God Mm -hmm. even if I'm like in the worst mood and almost especially and what happens is is at the end of it I'm you know all the problems might not be solved. I might not even feel like that much better, but there's something in me there's that's fortified, like conviction that basically says, okay, I'm going to get on to the other side of this and the Holy Spirit will lead me and you're real and I know it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, that's my favorite way is to, to have that kind of like, 
if I could describe it in in human terms, it would be like before a sporting event when a team gets together (laughs) and you like hype each other up. (laughs) Yeah. The Holy Spirit and I, we like hype each other up. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's go. You know, yeah. as, as a witness, just a witness uh, to this. Oh, like, okay. It's been a, no, I mean, that's been a salvation to our marriage. I mean, there have mm. been moments when pastoral work, I've gotten really down, melancholy. It's like, well, nothing's going to work. Where's God? I don't know. And Maggie will be in her prayer closet. She'll come out. And she's like, nope, Satan, not today. We are going to find a way to love Jesus, worship, praise, because he is alive. And uh, and there are times when she says that, and I'm like, oh no, you know? <laughs> but but she's right. She's always right. And so <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's well, we, ha- we have that recorded at least. But it is it is it has been a salvation. So I just I just want to witness to that. That I appreciate that. And it, and it's not only um, something that benefits you, but it benefits our marriage. And ben- I think that whenever we do that with the Holy Spirit, right, mm-hmm. it benefits others around us. Emma Wynn. That was awesome. <laughs> First of all, um, I think recently uh, I just really love to listen to the Spirit. So what that looks like is I read my Bible and I meditate on a scripture and I listen. I ask the Lord to speak to me <laughs> about the scripture. Yeah. Um, and it's just the best way for me because it's truth and I learn how to hear his voice more and more, and it builds me up, and it's good. So, yeah. That's awesome. Pastor Rob. I go into my room. I do a little dance, and I say, Holy Spirit, activate. No. (laughs) (laughs) False. Can I just say... Can I just say that I sang that song in front of your son once, and he looked at me... In the most serious way, and said, "Emma, that's not how the Holy Spirit works." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I know which son that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, actually, something similar to—I mean, I, all those things. I will sit with Scripture and um, and ask the Lord to lead me in prayer and and um, meditate on the words of Scripture that remind me of what truth is. Mm-hmm. You know. And worship and praise. I mean, all the things are, I mean, these are all, yeah. I mean, basically it's like being reminded of what reality is, you know? And so um, coming coming back into agreement with truth. And that is where usually uh, he'll meet me, you know? All right, Tony Miltenberger, your turn. Yeah, n- nothing wildly different from what you guys yeah, have all yeah. said. Yeah. You know, the, the truth is the truth. Uh, one of the things that oftentimes brings me a little bit more hope is when I go to a space where the Holy Spirit's already shown up before. Mm. Mm, yeah. And so, um, man, I love going to churches, mm-hmm. uh, especially like a church on a Monday morning and the sun is shining in the stained glass window and you can kind of just, you could just feel the presence of the Lord just simmering waiting for next Sunday to celebrate who he is and Mm. those are those uh, special moments that sometimes we get to steal as pastors in those spaces but in my home you know I have a room um, that is it's a three season room and uh, we put a heater out there so I can get that fourth season in Ohio (laughs) Uh, and uh, and I love sitting out there and being in the word and um, 
and watching God's creation just come alive around me. And so the, the Lord's goodness is, is on display fully for me in those moments. And I'm super thankful. Amen. That's awesome. That's been our podcast for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And just a quick reminder, the Spirit and Truth Conference is this week, March 9th through 11th, and we still have a few tickets available. So if you're interested and you're going to be around the Dayton, Ohio area this weekend, Thursday through Saturday, you can head on over to our website, spiritandtruth.life slash conference and get those last few remaining tickets. And I really do mean a last few. We're going to be pretty full. It's going to be a great event. I'm going to be there. Tony's going to be there. Emma's going to be there. And Rob will be there too. So be sure you get those tickets. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also, check out the show notes for Tony's podcast and other great resources from Spirit and Truth.